0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Welcome to Policy and Rights, the show about human rights and government policy. And welcome back everyone. Um, I'm the, your host of Policy and Rights, Michael Cloggs, here on Depictions Media Radio. And so there's one really important thing um... that on all levels of government um... global down to uh, the most local um... governments they've been promoting the idea that if you are sick don't go to work stay home if you are sick limit your contact with um... With people in in the public. Okay. There is a fundamental problem with that, that um, especially in the U.S. and Canada that for so many people, if we don't go to work, if we don't um, go out of our homes to make money, that we miss out on the, on the income and now it puts our things like food on the table um, and housing and medications all are now swinging in limbo and it isn't as feasible as it would seem for a lot of people to just simply not go to work. and we need government to actually step up and maybe help us with programs so that we can, if we need to, miss that day of work because we won't miss the income. We won't miss the money. So um, there's an announcement um, made by John Horgan and uh, the BC NDP government about uh paid sick leave where you can get three days of sick time to help tide you over until another program a federal program or something can uh can help cover your income until you're better and able to go back to work so Let's listen to what the uh, the whole announcement is in uh, in one of the in the in one of the segments here on today's uh, episode of Policy and Rights, and John Horgan and um, Harry Baines, his minister, um, will describe what the what the what the British Columbia program will look like and what it will actually hopefully cover. So uh, along with that, um, we have a press conference from uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, the uh, Canadian federal government, and they're going to cover updates, of course, on COVID-19 and also funding for Ontario Transit. it's pretty cool that that the federal government is helping helping this because it's a green initiative. Getting people on transit and getting in fewer vehicles actually putting out um, carbon emissions is a definitely good thing. So um, hopefully the the um, Justin Trudeau and, and the federal government will um, fund more of these kinds of initiatives uh, across Canada and um, support more transit uh, funding so that we reduce the the number of carbon-burning cars on the road. Um, along with that, uh, there is, would seem to be a imminent shutdown of the um... line five pipeline um, this a lot of this has to do with um... the u.s. Um, federal initiatives to cut down on carbon emissions and it uh... this particular pipeline uh, does cross from canada into michigan and uh President Joe Biden is initiating um, um, legislation to slow those pipelines down, to, to start closing them off. So we'll see how that actually, what Justin Trudeau's uh, uh, announcement is around that. So um, why don't we start off and we'll get to... Um, our first segment with uh, Premier John Horgan of British Columbia. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Welcome back, everyone, and we're going to listen to uh, uh, John Horgan, a premier of British Columbia, and the his minister of labor, uh, Harry Baines, talk about um, paid sick time, you know, the program that they're proposing is looking more to do with covid-19 they are saying that, that, that it's going to be revisited again um january 1st 2022 and there are going to be some limitations to 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 it it'll be for 3 days of sick time um uh, a $600 limit, and some other other things. But um, some of the things that they're saying, it is to bridge the gap between what the federal government is proposing versus what is needed provincially um, in British Columbia. And they're trying to develop a, a bill and a program that will help as many people as possible. um with with the program the, the the big question is is the program as they're writing it going to be usable to the workers of British Columbia is this bill going to going to really help or is it going to become a bit more of a hindrance or just simply useless so Time, we'll see how that actually works out and see if they if they rewrite it to something that um, or do any changes to it to see to see how this works out. But f- for right now they're proposing this bill um, for paid sick leave and it's supposed to bridge a gap between what people need here in the in the province of British Columbia to what the federal government is actually doing so let's listen to what John Horgan and Harry Baines actually have to say
2: uh, thanks everyone good morning uh, it's uh, John Horgan uh, joined by Minister Harry Baines coming to you from the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people the song he's in Esquimalt First Nations here at the Legislative Assembly As you all know, I've been advocating for a national paid sick leave program since the pandemic began at the beginning of last year. I raised the issue with my colleagues at provincial councils. I raised the issue directly with the federal government through the prime minister and the minister of finance. I didn't have a lot of support at the beginning but I was gratified when the federal government announced that they would bring forward a program to assist workers to make that tough choice between staying home when they're sick are going to the workplace, putting their colleagues and others at risk of contracting COVID-19. Unfortunately, the federal program has been difficult to access for workers. We raised the issue with the federal government. We were hopeful in the last federal budget that they would have corrected that problem and unfortunately, they weren't able to do so. So as a result, uh, the province is going to step up and fill that gap. No one should have to make that difficult choice between staying home when they're sick or going into work because they have an economic imperative to do so. Today, we're making that choice a little bit easier. Earlier this morning, uh, the minister tabled Bill 13 that will support hard-hit businesses and make sure that workers don't have to make that tough choice. And we are going to, as of uh, today, introduce three days of paid sick leave to the end of the calendar year. This will ensure workers will not lose pay. The relationship between the employer and the employee will remain the same. And working through the WorkSafe uh, administration process will be able to reimburse those businesses as quickly as possible. This is one of the challenges with the federal legislation. There was a gap between the time you took off and your ability to access the program. The federal government allocated $2.6 billion for a national program and have only been able to get $400 million out the door. That doesn't speak to the lack of need for the program, that speaks to the inadequacy of the construction of that program. I will continue to work with the federal government to see what we can do about improving that for the long term. But as long as we have COVID-19 in our communities, we want to make sure that workers, businesses and communities are safe. We are going to be consulting over the next six months with workers, with industry, with indigenous peoples and others to develop a long-term program. COVID-19 does not end the fact that we have a gap in our employee-employer relationship that puts people at risk. This is an opportunity to fix a problem that's been in existence for a long, long time. We are excited about doing that in collaboration with all parties. Paid sick leave is good for businesses, it's good for workers, and it's good for communities. And together, it'll help us come out of the COVID 19 pandemic stronger than we went in. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to talk to you about this issue today. I'll ask Minister Baines to say a few words before we go to questions and answers.
3: Thank you, Premier. I would also like to acknowledge that we are gathered on the territory of the speaking people of Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations. I would like to add to what Premier Horgan has said about the legislation we introduced today. As provided some additional, and I will provide some additional details about how it will work. There are two parts to this legislation. The first is an immediate measure to support workers and businesses as we continue the battle against this pandemic. The amendment will provide up to three days of sick leave related to COVID-19 at full pay. This includes circumstances for any worker who self-isolates when they feel ill, who has been exposed to the virus, stays home to follow public health guidelines, or is awaiting Test results. We know that the most important and effective way to prevent transmission of COVID 19 is to stay home and self isolate. This leave is good for workers, good for businesses, and will help our economy recover faster. At the same time, we know that many businesses are also struggling to survive. That's why the new COVID 19 paid sick leave will include problems reimbursing businesses. Up to $200 per day per employee, employers will be required to pay their workers their, their regular wages, and government will reimburse them up to $200 a day per worker. If a worker is sick for longer than three days, this program bridges the gap to the federal Canada Recovery Sickness Benefit that provides up to four weeks of support. This means workers won't lose pay when they feel unwell. Hard hit businesses will get support they need, and together we will stop the spread of this virus. Unless, unlike other jurisdictions, BC COVID 19 paid sick leave will remain in place until December 31st of this year, by which time the pandemic should be behind us and we will be focusing on economic recovery and rebuilding. Works at BC will administer the employer reimbursement program on behalf of our government which funds are uh, provided by the government. I would like to take the opportunity to thank Works BC for its quick action in stepping up to administer this program. The pandemic has highlighted how difficult it is for workers, many who are already living paycheck to paycheck. And those difficulties will not disappear when the pandemic ends. The second part of this bill better support workers and healthy and productive workplaces in the long-term beyond the pandemic. For the first time ever in BC, we are creating a permanent province-wide paid sick leave for workers who cannot work due to illness or injury starting January 1st, 2022. This builds on amendments we made in March 2020 to add three days of job-protected leave, sick leave, that will last beyond the pandemic. We will be consulting extensively to develop a permanent model for sick leave that will be fair and reasonable. Businesses know that a healthy workforce is a valuable asset. We will consult with business groups, labor groups and other stakeholders as we develop permanent sick leave model. And we will find the balance that works for everyone that protect and support both employer and workers. This permanent paid sick leave Will be in place starting January 1st, 2022. Our Premier John Horgan promised a made in BC paid sick leave program, and today we are here delivering on that promise. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Harry. And uh, now Lindsay will uh, entertain your questions.
4: Thank you. As a reminder to everybody on the phone, please press star 1 to enter the queue. You will be limited to one question and one follow-up. First question is from Justine Hunter, Globe and Mail.
5: Thank you. Um, I don't know that legislation is typically written in a matter of weeks. So I'm wondering if you could just working on this, when did the government start drafting working on
6: putting together the administration?
2: Well, thank you, uh, Justine. I got every third word there, but I think uh, what you asked was when did we start working on the legislation. And I can say we started working on the legislation last year, and we have been uh, looking at how best to deliver a program like this when we saw the shortcomings of the federal program and I want to I want to reiterate uh, that the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister, now finance minister, uh, when we first discussed this, she was responsible, um, Minister Freeland was responsible for intergovernmental relations and they were both enthusiastic supporters of this because they saw the challenges of a second wave and of course we hadn't contemplated a third wave but the importance of making sure that workers and businesses were protected and I firmly maintain that a national program is still in the best interest of workers and businesses But for now, uh, we needed to bring this forward, and we started that work uh, last year. Uh, and when the federal budget was tabled without any appreciable change in how the federal government would respond to this issue, Minister Baines uh, got into action with ledged drafters, finalized the bill, worked with WorkSafe to administer the program. And uh, I want to just reinforce Minister Baines's comments: This is not normally what WorkSafe does. These are provincial dollars that will be administered by them, and we're very grateful that that administration is in place to help us deliver this program.
4: Justine, do you have a follow-up? Thanks. and I'll try and lean in if you can hear
5: me better, I hope. Um, I, just, I know you're still going to work on the permanent model and there will be consultations, but is there a model that you're aware of where the employer isn't responsible for sick pay? I'm just wondering if it's inevitable that they will be in the long-term taking on this additional program.
2: Well, I I have to confess, uh, Justine, that over the past four years, if I've learned anything, it's that nothing is inevitable. And uh, I may well have felt that way in the past, but I certainly don't feel that way today. And I am anxious to work with uh, employers, whether they be through umbrella organizations, uh, the chambers of commerce, the BC business council, any number of individual businesses to talk about this, because it is in their interest. And you've seen that. Uh, The Surrey Board of Trade today, uh, after seeing the legislation applauded its introduction and and spoke about the importance of building on that and we need to do it in a collaborative way and I'm confident that Minister Baines, working with industry, workers and other stakeholders will come up with a model that will work for everybody. But this is a challenge that I think is best handled at the federal level and I'm going to continue working with the Prime Minister to try and convince him and my colleagues across the country that this is something that we need to do now. The pandemic has shown us the way. Let's just do it. Protect workers, protect businesses.
4: Next question is from Bender CTV.
7: Premier, um, so you spoke about how for more than a year you've been thinking about uh, a sick pay program and how important this is. Of course, in the hardest hit region, and particularly in Surrey, we have a lot of essential and lower income earners. And uh, many of the people who follow these types of programs say these are the groups that will be helped the most. So, what do you say to people who say you shouldn't have? followed the federal government, and that you could have stopped a lot of infections if you had introduced this type of program a lot earlier.
2: Well, my hindsight is perfect, uh, but here in the now uh, was uh, collaboration with the federal government in an unprecedented way over the past 15 months, not just with British Columbia, but other provinces and the federal government. And I wanted to build on that uh, as a a renewal of Canada and a renewal of our federation. There was consent from the federal government to proceed with a national program. I had every expectation that it would be successful. Clearly, it has not met the test, and that's why we're doing the bill today.
4: Follow up, Bender.
5: Yes, yeah, so I just want to ask you also about uh, the shooting
7: happening uh, in Metro Vancouver. Minister Farnworth said yesterday that uh, we see this type of cycle uh, every few years. So, I'm wondering, what else can your government do that uh, do that's not doing now to break that cycle? Or is this something that people just have to get used to, given the type of uh, gang activity that we see here? Yes.
2: Uh, I'm appalled, as all British Columbians are, with the escalation of gang violence in the lower mainland and indeed across British Columbia in, in urban centres. And I'm confident that Minister Farnworth working with uh, police and, and other law enforcement across BC uh, will come up with new solutions and new objectives uh, to meet this challenge. I was very, very heartened to hear uh, through the media comments from law enforcement about uh, their responsibility to take stronger action to curb this violence. and. Uh, I know that the minister, uh, Minister Farnworth, is also uh, reached out to Bill Blair, the federal minister, to talk about national challenges here as well. Uh, we need to make sure that we're focused like a laser on addressing the criminality here, and 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 we have done our part by uh, bringing in a whole host of programs. You know what they are, Minister Farmerth outlined many of them yesterday. The first order of business, of course, is to stop the flow of young people into the gang lifestyle, and that starts in our K to 12 system by making sure that we provide other alternative safe. Alternatives for young people wherever they may live, and that's been our preoccupation uh, to stop the flow of people into the gang lifestyle. But clearly, uh, the brazen nature of uh, the violence we've seen over the past two weeks uh, requires uh, law enforcement intervention, and Minister Farnworth is overseeing that.
4: Next question is from Rob Shaw, Czech News.
8: Well, hi, uh, Premier. So, if the federal program um, doesn't cut it. How does bridging people into the federal program, which doesn't cut it, help them? Uh, when they're stuck with that federal program after three days, it pays them less than minimum wage and it's a, a cumbersome burden. I'm just kind of figuring out how that actually kind of
9: works for people.
2: Well, be, first of all, there are other programs that Minister Bain spoke about that we've already brought in. Uh, presumptive uh, COVID uh, through WorkSafe, for example. Uh, if uh, you contract, work sa- uh, contract COVID at your work site, uh, you're covered uh, by uh, imp- uh, workers' compensation or by the WorkSafe uh, legislation. This allows these three days allows you to take the time to get a test and ha- an appropriate period of time to get those results, and then you can make decisions about how you engage with the federal government for the programs that exist there, or through uh, WorkSafe for the programs on that side. What? We saw as the major challenge with the federal legislation was there was a break in payment. Uh, Minister Baines talked about uh, low wage workers were the most vulnerable because they desperately had to go to work because they're living paycheck to paycheck. The federal program interrupted the relationship with the employer and the employee and put the burden on the employee to make application for a benefit that would come sometime down the road. And that's the challenge here. We wanted to make sure that there was consistency of payment. We believe the three days covers that access and then allowing uh, employees to access other programs that are in place at the provincial level or at the federal level.
4: Rob, Do you have a follow-up?
8: Uh, sure. I also need to ask you, premier, about um, the uh, overdose deaths of two teens on the island including a 12-year-old in your riding. Uh, the families have talked to us and said that they would like to see your government proceeding with bill 22 on the involuntary uh, treatment. And uh, I'm trying to get a sense from you as the premier who promised this uh, during the election. Is that coming back? and? Uh, if so, when?
2: It is coming back, and I wish that it had passed in the last parliament. I've been pretty clear about that. And these uh, very tragic examples of young people, inconceivable as a parent to think of a tw-
0: It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
2: 12 year old addicted to opioids and losing their life as a result of an overdose when we could have taken steps to avoid that. If we have access to medical care, we should make sure that everyone gets that medical care. I firmly believe that. Minister Malcolmson is conducting consultation with those who didn't like the bill in its initial form and she'll be bringing it back as quickly as that consultation can take place.
4: Tanya Fletcher, CBC. And we've heard from the Canadian Centre
7: for Policy Alternatives uh, on your legislation. Uh, they point out Washington State and Oregon require five employer-paid sick days per year, even in normal times. So, you know, they're saying, why can't we do better during a pandemic? Many are saying this is a carbon copy of Ontario's quote, woefully inadequate program. So, if your government is only willing to do three days now during a pandemic, is there any reason to believe the promised permanent program will be any better?
2: Well, first of all, the comparison to Ontario is, is just not accurate. Uh, their program, such as it is, uh, will sunset in September. Uh, and we will be paying, uh, and it's only $500, ours is $600, and it will be going uh, provincially funded until the end of the calendar year. And as the consultation takes place, Minister Baines and others within government will be listening to uh, those within Canada. Certainly, I'll take a look uh, at your suggestion at the American uh, legislation and if it's superior and, and we can gain support across the board, I'd be happy to bring that forward. I'm confident that the three days that we have in the bill uh, will bridge workers to get other, access to other programs that are available in Canada and if it becomes inadequate uh, by uh, December, that will be clear and we'll be making amendments, uh, Minister Baines, through those consultations with the business community, with labour and Indigenous communities as well.
7: Follow up, Tanya? Yeah, so to Vinder's question, just about the timeline of this, I mean, is this not too little, too late, especially coming from a province whose premier has led the charge highlighting this nationally? I mean, we're well over a year into the pandemic. You were sounding the alarm about this, uh, you know, more than a year ago. So, how many thousands of workers who needed it before now have missed out? And how many workers ill from COVID do you expect will benefit from this between now and year's
5: end?
2: well as many as uh, as possible uh, i i can't hide my disappointment at the lack of a A robust effort by the federal government, but I do not want to be overly critical because they did step up. Uh, There was not a lot of support around the table. Um, Sandy Silver, the uh, the premier of Yukon, all forty thousand of his citizens have access to a program, but it's difficult to take a forty thousand person program and lay it over a five million uh, person province. Uh, It was only recently, as you'll know that Ontario got on board, uh, Manitoba uh, ex- expressed interest and in they're bringing forward a program but it too uh, will sunset in September. I believe that we need to be sure that we're through the pandemic and the, the end of the calendar year will allow for that and six months to consult with business is appropriate. I, would I have preferred a better outcome? Absolutely. But I'm doing the best with what we've got in the time available.
4: Next question is from Richard Zussman,
2: We've also heard from the Federation of Labor on the
8: legislation, uh, Laird Krog says workers struggling with a COVID-19 illness face far greater than three days of lost pay. They face potential economic devastation, ensuring workers don't have to make the untenable decision between staying home with symptoms or working sick to put food on the table uh, is crucial here. So, like, what, with the fact that it's only three days and people will remain home for an extended period of time, do you think this is actually enough to ensure that people make that decision to stay home rather than uh, go to work uh, with potential symptoms?
2: Well, I, I do believe it's it's uh, going to be sufficient to get that test done, to get the result from that test, and then to access the other programs that are available, whether it be uh, through the presumptive uh, COVID uh, work that we did uh, with uh, WorkSafe uh, back last spring, or uh, accessing the federal program that currently exists or uh, long-term disability through uh, the Employment Employment Insurance uh, Act, which I believe would be the best mechanism to deliver a paid sick leave program. I've made that abundantly clear as well. So is it uh, sufficient for the moment? I believe it is. And will we improve it through the consultation? I certainly hope we do.
4: Richard, do you have a follow-up? Richard, are you there?
8: i am one of the big gaps here from the federal program uh is how uh quickly uh how people make that decision so if someone in this case is feeling symptoms and their roommate or someone who lives in their house is not showing symptoms can that person in that in the house also get support or should they be going to work like we know that you know, based on what we're seeing in closures in Fraser Health, that, you know, this is an issue that's happening in those communities. We know there it's a higher likelihood of intergenerational household. So is there support for people in the household? How do you even prove that you're showing symptoms? Like, how is it going to work in terms of preventing that decision from being made to go to work when you when you feel there may be risk that you can spread the virus to others?
2: The legislation provides for three days of paid leave, sick leave, and that allows workers to make that choice knowing that they're not going to have an interruption in their salary. That was the big challenge with the federal program. First of all, the the quantum, the amount was too low. It would cover uh, minimum wage employees only. Uh, This will allow for a top-up and a bridge for, for businesses that have higher paid employees. And it will allow for sufficient time to get... Uh, a test done to get a result from that test and then to make choices about what the individual does from that point on, accessing any number of other programs. Uh, A hypothetical about who lives where and how, uh, is beyond the scope of the legislation. Uh, we're hoping that people make the right choices for themselves, their families, and the businesses that they work in. And that's the intent here. And I have to say that, on balance, British Columbians have met that challenge over the past 15 months uh, with great hardship in many instances, sacrifices by workers, sacrifices by governments. But despite that, we've got to this point where we've had, uh, as of this morning, 49% of those eligible for vaccines have taken up a first dose over 2.1 million British Columbians we have a steady stream of vaccines coming into BC people are registering in record numbers this is all positive news but we are not out of the woods yet that's why this legislation is so critically important at this pivotal time and it's com- I'm confident that leaving it in place and funded by the province to the end of the calendar year will give us the time to have the discussion about how can we refine this I left it to the federal government to do this work because they said in good faith they would do so. It didn't meet the test of workers, and so we need to pivot and make amendments, and that's what we're doing today. Uh, government is all about taking circumstances as they come your way and making the best of it for the people that you represent, and that's what Minister Baines and I are, are announcing today. And if there are improvements that we can make between now and, and January 1, we'll absolutely do that.
4: Next question is from Katie DeRosa, Vancouver Sun.
10: Hi, Premier. You know, you you are continuously saying that the federal program is inadequate, but again, the current program that BC is coming up with only provides for three days, and then people have to go into, you know, what you're calling an an inadequate measure by the federal government. So, again, why not have a longer period of time to cover people so that they, uh, because again, the federal program, they have to apply, and it could be weeks before they get that money, whereas uh, the provincial government would provide the money, uh, you know, to employees. And, uh, you know, the Yukon, I think, has had to have 10 days, so, you know, why, again, only three days, which is comparable to the Ontario program, which has been criticized.
2: Well, uh, I I don't know what I can say, Katie, to uh, uh, allay your concerns about this. There are a range of programs available that we brought in and the federal government has brought in to protect people. And When it comes to paid sick leave, it's been inadequate. We believe the three days covered by the province will bridge people to either uh, the CS, the the second CERB, uh, or uh, unemployment insurance, or the presumptive uh, COVID uh, regulations that we brought in that will protect workers who contract COVID in their workplace. That then becomes uh, a workers' compensation question the only province in the country as well. Uh, I believe that we are circling as best we can around this challenge and I'm confident that what we brought forward is certainly superior uh, to uh, the, uh, the program in Ontario in terms of the quantum of dollars as well as the fact that we are not only carrying it on three months, four months past the expiry date in Ontario but we are going to make it permanent January 1. In addition to that, and I, I was very grateful for the support of the Yukon when I was making my arguments, but uh, let's be candid. Forty thousand people in the Yukon Territory does not translate as easily to five million people in British Columbia.
10: Follow up, Katie. Yes, uh, on the issue of of the release of uh, COVID data, you know, yesterday in, in question period, yourself and, and Minister Dix were you know saying that BC's been releasing you know as much data as possible, but. This week, we are getting a commitment to to more data that many would argue would not have been released if, you know, uh, reporters were not, and and epidemiologists and medical doctors were asking for this information. So, why this delay, 15 months into the pandemic, are we finally getting this more neighbourhood-specific, age-based, sex-based data?
2: Uh, Dr Henry and the centre for disease control here in British Columbia collect the data. Uh, they make decisions about what to do with the data. I, at no time have I given any instruction or direction uh, that they do anything particular with it. I know uh, and I am confident that Dr Henry and her team use the information to shape policies to protect British Columbians. My role was to back them up and I will continue to do that. We have a challenge ahead of us. so We are very close to the end. Uh, 2.1 million uh, British Columbians have received a first dose, 49% will be at 50% before you know it, and uh, more vaccine coming. The data issue was in the hands of the BC Centre for Disease Control, at no time uh, did I direct them to do anything other than to utilize that information to protect British Columbians, and we're going to continue doing that. Uh, If Dr. Henry and the team uh, are in a position to release more information, that's good.
4: Les Lane, Times colonist.
2: Oh, thank,
8: uh, Premier. Do you have a ballpark estimate of what um, the uh, COVID um, sick leave will cost, and what the permanent one is? There like a nominal figure you're expecting to budget for?
2: Go ahead.
3: Thank you. Uh, as, as you would uh, uh, appreciate, it is very difficult to actually come up with the the real numbers. Um, Uh, not knowing how many uh, workers will actually take advantage of this. Uh, As we see, our vaccination program is ramping up and more and more Workers are being vaccinated, so I think it probably will uh, have fewer workers uh, utilizing it uh, as a result of our vaccination program. Uh, but uh, I think uh, at the end of the day, when you look at uh, where are the where are the benefits and the cost, I think the the cost of not doing this is much higher than the cost of of providing this ser- this service but if um, uh, the estimates are correct uh, as I think they should be. Uh, 50% of the workers in British Columbia don't have any kind of uh, sickly provisions in their uh, at their workplaces. And based on if the 60% of uh, of them take it, uh, or utilize it between now and December, uh, we're looking at about a little over $300 million. Les, do you have
4: a follow-up?
8: i just wondering. The premier's estimated the federal program at two point six billion, and there's only four hundred million take up. Is that? Uh, uh, can you just outline what you read into that skimpy kind of take up? Is it still money still going out the door? Is it a delay, or does that illustrate anything other than uh, the program wasn't properly designed?
2: Well, uh, I'll take a, a shot at that lesson and then perhaps ask Harry, uh, who's been uh, more intimate with this information, but it, it seems apparent to me and what I heard from workers and from uh, businesses is that the disconnect between the worker and the employer meant that there was a disruption in, in uh, flow of uh, monies to workers. And if you're going from paycheck to paycheck, uh, the thought of taking one, two or three days uh, to determine that you're well enough to continue working, Uh, If you're not going to, if you're going to lose those three days of pay while you wait to fill out a form and then have the dollars uh, transmitted to you from the federal government, you're going to say, "Well, you know, it's easier for me to go to work," and that's what we want to stop people from doing. That's what we were focused on 15 months ago. That's what we were focused on uh, into the fall last year, and that's certainly what we're doing today. Uh, Again, would I have preferred a, a more robust federal program that did work directly with employers and employees? So that there was a a continuous payment to those who desperately need it? Absolutely. We believe that this uh, measure will assist us in that regard and we're going to consult widely to see if we can make it any better uh, going forward. And I know that there's uh, very much uh, Interest in the business community to make sure we get this right, as well as uh, within uh, labor groups. And uh, I I think the striking that balance is critically important at this time to make sure that there's continuity of pay for workers and that we're not putting a whole bunch more burden onto already strapped uh, businesses. And that's why the the long duration to the end of the calendar year uh, before we implement a a program that may well uh, have impacts uh, across the board. But do you want to touch the federal piece?
3: Thank you, premier. Um, I believe it's hard to speculate why there is a, such a low uptake uh, on the federal program. I could only uh, comment uh, uh, that there are a couple of gaps that existed in that program and we have identified Uh, with our counterparts uh, in federal government. Premier has been very consistently talking to the Prime Minister and the the Finance Minister, and I've been talking to uh, my colleagues across across Canada and the Federal Minister of Labour. I think uh, the gaps, for example, uh, you must lose at least 50% of work or income in that particular week to qualify. I think, you know, that could be one of the reasons why many workers, uh, uh, you know, do not want to take up on that program and we are here to fix that gap. And I think the other other part is the, the $500 is less than our minimum wage here in British Columbia. That also is a disincentive for workers to take time off. So many ended up going to work a uh, sick sometime. So I think, uh, you know, the gaps are the ones that, that need to be fixed. And I think we were, we were, we identified those gaps with the federal government. And they, uh, they, they didn't act on it. And uh, now it's uh, up to us to fill those gaps. And the other part that I would say is uh, uh, that the federal program does not allow provinces to top up on the $500. So I think uh, so we had to make the best out of the situation that we're in, uh, filling the gaps that are left by the federal program. Uh, federal, uh, You know, we we always believe that uh, it's a national emergency. There has to be a national solution. And uh, we work with the federal government. And here we are to uh, to do the work that we need to do in order to fill those gaps.
4: We have time for one more question today. Lisa Houston, News 1130.
5: Hi there, Premier Minister. Just wondering about the timing of the reimbursement. You know, We've heard about the circuit breaker program where people are approved but then they're waiting a long time to get their money. And wondering how long are companies going to have to wait to be reimbursed here? Because a lot are, you know, like their employers, you know, living very close to the edge.
2: Uh, That's a good question. And that's why uh, WorkSafe Uh, has stepped up and we're grateful for that because there's already an existing relationship with that organization and employers across British Columbia. Some of the other programs, whether it be the circuit breaker or other initiatives that we brought forward, were uh, brand new programs that didn't have a delivery mechanism. We had to put in place criteria, uh, test all of those criteria against actual results and we've been improving uh, over the past uh, 15 months in our ability to deliver those programs effectively. And, and in this instance, we're able to take an existing administration that already has a relationship with employers and, and that will I, I think accelerate the ability for us to get those dollars to emplo- those employers quickly. But maybe Harry, you want to add to that.
3: Thank you. Because we are utilizing uh, Works at BC and they have existing program, the relationship with their, with, with employers. So it will be, uh, a much faster than designing our own, as the premier have mentioned. So uh, the Works at BC have assured us that they would be able to put this program in a very short period of time. And then the turnaround time would be, uh, but be uh, as short as possible uh, because they already they will have a, a system in place where online applications will be made and uh, the works at BC will be easily transferring those uh, those funds to the employers in a timely fashion
4: Lisa, do you have a follow up yeah i
5: 'm going to go for broke and ask a double barreled follow up here with the circuit breaker ten thousand businesses have applied only thirty six hundred since the whole start like way back in the fall, when when this sort of small business loan uh, started, only 3,600 have been approved. So I'm just wondering what you think about the pace of that, and just a little side one, if I can toss it in, Um, is BC looking at following in Alberta's footsteps when it comes to AstraZeneca and sort of nixing the use of that vaccine?
2: Well, I'll I'll say that uh, Minister Callon has uh, amended and accelerated the circuit breaker resources. Uh, My my understanding is that that's moving quite well. Uh, Businesses uh, satisfied that they're getting access to these programs. We have another uh, range of programs we'll be announcing later uh, uh, this week or into next week about uh, the tourism sector as we look to uh, Uh, almost uh, 50% immunization to this point in time. So I'm confident that those programs have always been tweaked and improved. I want to lean in a little bit here and say that this is uncharted territory uh, and it has been for A year and a half. That doesn't make it easier with each month that goes by. It just reminds us that we haven't done this before. And so when we uh, develop the programs, we learn from them each and every day and we improve them as best we can. And we'll continue to do that. Uh, With respect to, um, Uh, AstraZeneca, uh, again, my wife and I uh, were immunized with AstraZeneca, I fully expect to get a second shot when uh, I'm advised that I'm ready to go, and I know my spouse feels the same way, Uh, countless numbers of British Columbians have benefited from the AstraZeneca vaccine, I'll have to take a look at the decision uh, made by Alberta at this time, it could be because they have such a a supply of Pfizer coming in, as we do here in BC. Uh, but uh, our view is that uh, those decisions are best made by public health officials and until such time as Dr. Henry, Dr. Ballam and their teams advise us uh, that we'll continue with the programs that we have in place. We believe that the vaccines are safe, they're effective, and we urge British Columbians to take the first vaccine available to them in the interest of not just themselves and their family, but their community and the province.
4: That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, Next we're listening to Justin Trudeau and uh Doctor Tam and Doctor New and w- as well as um Dominic LeBlanc, uh, the um intergovernmental affairs minister, talk about what um what is going on on uh on the Parliament Hill, um, we're going to hear about vaccines. We're going to hear about updates on COVID-19 from Dr. Tam and Dr. New, and we're also going to hear uh, about uh, the emanating uh, shutdown of Enbridge uh, Line Five pipeline. Um, and w- we're also going to hear about. Uh, uh, transit funding for a uh, greater Toronto area, um, the rapid transit project for Hamilton, uh, where they are being promised a federal investment of $12 billion. Now, of course, um, when um, British Columbia went to get um, funding for transit they were denied uh, part of that funding for BC ferries because the federal government didn't quite understand um, how a ferry system was part of a city transit. And it actually turned... Turns out that b c ferries is an integral part of the transit system for British Columbia moving people backwards and forth from islands so that they can either perform jobs, do business those sort of things and if we listen closely to what is going on with with this particular project for Greater Toronto Hamilton. Maybe there will be lessons to be learned in how to get that funding needed for transit in other areas. So let's listen to that very closely as we listen to what evolves in the whole, whole press conference coming up right now.
11: Hello, everyone. Bonjour, tout le monde. Je suis heureux d'être ici aujourd'hui avec le ministre Leblanc, ainsi que la Docteur Tam et le Docteur New. Aujourd'hui, je vais parler de notre lutte contre la COVID-19 et des mesures qu'on prend pour créer des emplois et rebâtir un Canada plus propre. Cette semaine, c'est la semaine de la profession infirmière. C'est l'occasion de souligner l'importance et l'expertise des infirmières et des infirmiers au sein de nos systèmes de santé. Bien sûr, c'est aussi l'occasion de les remercier à nouveau pour leur travail. It's thanks to efforts and au of nurses infirmières in the country that we have traverser cette to difficile. this difficult Yesterday, I met virtually with nurses in Manitoba to say thank you for their incredible work and to hear how things are going on the ground. I got to hear firsthand how exhausted they are, but also how determined they are to continue to be there for Canadians. So to nurses across the country, I know this past year has been tough, and that this third wave is even harder. But you keep stepping up for your patients and for Canadians. Thank you for your dedication, your skill, and your compassion. Our government will continue to be there for everything you need, from vaccines, to rapid tests, to PPE, to everything else. Our fight against COVID-19 is not over. In many parts of the country, Cases are still too high and hospitals are still under incredible pressure. But there is hope. More Canadians are getting vaccinated every day. Almost 50% of eligible adults have received at least one shot. Canada is in the top three countries in the G20 in terms of daily vaccinations. By summer, we'll have enough vaccines so that every eligible Canadian will have gotten their first dose. And by September, as we've been saying for months... We'll have enough doses for every Canadian to be fully vaccinated.
0: If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
11: So here's the situation. More and more Canadians are getting vaccinated. But like we know, cases in far too many places, are far too high. We can't ease public health restrictions until cases are way down. We all want to have a summer where we can see our loved ones and invite friends over for barbecues. We can have that summer. We can have a one-dose summer. But for that, two things need to happen. First, restrictions need to remain in place until cases go way down with more screening, testing, and contact tracing. We need to successfully limit community transmission. Second, as Dr. Tam said, at least 75% of Canadians need to have received their first shots. And we need to keep ramping up those second doses. If we can do this, then we can have a more normal better summer. And a one-dose summer sets us up for a two-dose fall, when we'll be able to talk about going back to school, back to work, and back to more normality. That's what the coming months could look like. That's what I'm excited about. And that's up to all of us, by remaining vigilant, following local public health guidelines to drive case numbers down, and getting vaccinated. Jusqu'à maintenant… On a livré près de 20 millions de doses de vaccins aux provinces et aux territoires. La semaine prochaine, comme pour chaque semaine de mai, on va recevoir 2 millions de doses du vaccin de Pfizer. Au Québec, la vaccination progresse très bien. J'aimerais remercier tous ceux qui font partie de cet incroyable effort pour garder les Québécois et les Canadiens en sécurité. Si c'est votre tour de vous faire vacciner, vous pouvez faire votre part en prenant un rendez-vous. Continuons à travailler tous ensemble pour en finir avec cette pandémie le plus rapidement possible. Partout au pays, nos efforts se poursuivent pour combattre la troisième vague. Notre gouvernement est prêt à faire tout ce qu'il faut pour soutenir les provinces et les territoires et tous les Canadiens. In the last few weeks, Nunavut has seen a spike in COVID-19 cases. As soon as numbers started going up, We moved quickly to keep people safe by sending more PPE and medical equipment. But even more help is needed. So that's what we're going to provide. We're working with the government of Nunavut and the NTI on additional and immediate support for Nunavut. This funding will help with everything from food security to communities with active cases to providing better IT equipment for students who need to do remote learning to additional health supports to protect people. Our government's priority is to keep you safe no matter where you live. And that's exactly what we're going to continue to do. Comme je l'ai dit la semaine dernière, on continue aussi d'aider les autres pays durement touchés par cette crise. Ce matin, je peux confirmer qu'un deuxième avion des forces armées canadiennes a pris la direction de l'Inde avec des ventilateurs médicaux que nous avions en surplus pour aider à soutenir leurs hôpitaux dans la lutte contre le virus. On le sait Pour se débarrasser de la pandémie une bonne fois pour toutes, il faudrait l'enrayer partout dans le monde. La lutte contre la Covid-19 est un effort mondial. Le Canada va toujours être là pour faire sa part. Ending this pandemic is job one. But as we come into what's hopefully the final stretch of this crisis, we also have to look to building a strong recovery for every Canadian and every community. On that note, today I want to talk about another major step we're taking to make our communities more connected, create jobs, and fight climate change. We've reached a historic agreement on public transit in the Greater Toronto and Hamilton area. If you live in the GTHA, even if you're working from home right now, I don't have to tell you what traffic's like. After a busy day at work, you want to spend time with your family, not hours commuting. Not only that, but heavy traffic also causes a lot of pollution. That's why we're working with Ontario to make improvements to public transit that people in the GTHA can count on. We're investing over $12 billion, including in four subway projects in the GTA and one rapid transit project in Hamilton. To begin with, we're investing in the Ontario Line project which will bring rapid transit from Exhibition Place through downtown to the Ontario Science Centre. Anyone in Toronto can tell you that the subway is way too busy. Sometimes in rush hour, people have to wait for two or three trains to go by before they can even get on. This major investment will not only help deal with that, but also create thousands of good jobs and get gridlock traffic off the roads. The second project for the GTA is the Eglinton Crosstown West extension. This will create a continuous rapid transit line along Eglinton Avenue between Scarborough and Mississauga, a part of the city that needs better crosstown service. Again, this will create jobs, lighten traffic, and keep air in the GTA cleaner. The third and fourth transit projects we're investing in for the GTA are the Yonge Street North subway extension and the Scarborough subway extension. On Yonge Street North, We're extending Line 1 north to Vaughan, Markham and Richmond Hill. If you live in the north of the city, this means cutting down your commute by almost a half an hour. For people in Scarborough, who don't currently have good transit options, this investment will mean three more stops along Line 2. That's what this investment means for the GTA. Here's what it means for Hamilton. We're going to provide major support for rapid transit in Hamilton for a line that will go from McMaster University in the West through downtown all the way to Eastgate Centennial Park in Stony Creek. Just like the transit projects in Toronto, this will support jobs, make people's commutes better and cut down on pollution. This $12 billion in funding means people will get where they need to go faster, all with tens of thousands fewer cars on the road daily in addition part of this funding will go toward buying zero emission streetcars for the TTC not only will these new streetcars help Toronto's air cleaner this deal will also help protect good middle-class jobs at the Alstom automotive plant in Thunder Bay cette commande de voitures de tramway pour le transport collectif de Toronto aidé à soutenir les travailleurs de l'usine d'Alstom à La Pocatière. Le Canada est un chef de file dans le domaine manufacturier du transport collectif, que ce soit pour les autobus zéro émission ou les voitures de métro ou de We will On va continuer d'encourager cette industrie ici au pays. Minister McKenna will share more details about these investments later today and throughout the week. The federal government always listens to Canadians, which is why we pushed hard for key conditions in the funding agreement to improve the outcomes from the projects, including community and environmental benefits, affordable housing, and more citizen engagement. But the bottom line is this. Rapid transit shortens commutes, which gives parents more time with their kids and ensures kids will inherit a cleaner future. Public transit is at the heart of a strong recovery and a growing middle class. It's also part of our plan to reach net zero by 2050. Investments like these are key to making communities more livable and affordable communities people can love to call home. En travaillant ensemble pour améliorer la qualité de vie des Canadiens maintenant et pour l'avenir, on va rebâtir un pays plus fort et plus propre pour tout le monde. Merci. Je suis maintenant heureux de passer la parole à la docteure Tam Theresa.
12: Bonjour à toutes et à tous. National trends are slowly declining, but we've still got a number of areas across the country that are experiencing ongoing resurgences. Over the past seven days. An average of 7,275 cases have been reported daily, and the number of people experiencing severe and critical illness remains high. On average, 4,000 people with COVID-19 were being treated in our hospitals each day, including over 1,400 in intensive care units, and there were an average of 49 deaths reported daily. This week, Muslims across Canada and around the world will end their month-long fast of Ramadan with the Feast of Eid al-Fitr, a spiritual celebration according, uh, acknowledging the provision of strength and endurance. This year, we are all being called upon to endure a bit longer, and the reasons could not be more important to save lives and end this pandemic. Also, this week through Sunday is National Nursing Week. And we acknowledge the unrelenting dedication, expertise and vital role of Canada's nurses across the expanse of health and public health. We're all aware of the skilled and caring touch that nurses provide, whether it's administering vaccines to keep us well or caring for us from illness through recovery. But nurses are also working behind the scenes, contributing to the safeguarding and advancement of our health and wellness, from research and scientific studies to writing essential practice guidelines for health professionals. They have also been instrumental to the public health response to COVID-19 through contact tracing, screening at quarantine sites, and so much more. For the innumerable ways they work to keep us safe and healthy, we are grateful. And considering the ongoing and difficult period that our healthcare workforce is working through and the unrelenting pressure that this third wave is placing across the health system, There are hardly the words to thank them enough. The end of a challenge can feel like the greatest test of our endurance, but in fact, this is a powerful moment for us to show collective strength. The deepest gratitude we can show those who have helped us this far through this long and difficult crisis is to keep following their advice as vaccines continue to roll out and have more impact. For now... We need to remain cautious and do everything that we can to protect ourselves and our communities, ease the pressure on the system, and help bring an end to this pandemic. This includes making an appointment to see your friendly neighbourhood nurse and rolling up your sleeve for the COVID-19 vaccine as soon as you are able. Thank you.
13: Bonjour à toutes et à tous. Les tendances nationales s'améliorent lentement et il reste encore un certain nombre de régions dans tout le pays qui connaissent une recrudescence des cas de COVID-19. Au cours des sept derniers jours, en moyenne, 7275 cas ont été signalés quotidiennement et le nombre de personnes souffrant d'une forme grave et critique de la, de la maladie reste élevé. En moyenne, 4000 personnes atteintes de la COVID-19 ont été traitées dans nos hôpitaux chaque jour, dont plus de 1400 dans les unités de soins intensifs. De plus, 49 décès ont été signalés en moyenne quotidiennement. Cette semaine, les musulmans du Canada et du monde entier termineront leur mois de Jeune de Ramadan par la fête de l'Aïd El-Fitr, une célébration spirituelle reconnaissant la capacité de résistance et d'endurance. Cette année, nous sommes tous appelés à tolérer la situation un peu plus longtemps et les raisons ne pourraient être plus importantes. Sauver des vies, et arrêter cette pandémie. Cette semaine également, et jusqu'à dimanche, c'est la semaine nationale des soins infirmiers, au cours de laquelle nous reconnaissons le dévouement indéfectible, l'expertise et le rôle vital des infirmières et infirmiers du Canada dans tous les domaines de la santé et de la santé publique. Nous sommes tous conscients de la compétence et de l'attention des infirmières et infirmiers qu'il s'agisse d'administrer des vaccins pour nous garder en bonne santé ou de prendre soin de nous, de la maladie au rétablissement. De plus, les infirmières et infirmiers travaillent en coulisses pour contribuer à la protection et à l'amélioration de notre santé et de notre bien-être, qu'il s'agisse de recherches et d'études scientifiques ou de la rédaction des lignes directrices essentielles destinées aux professionnels de la santé. Le personnel infirmier joue également un rôle déterminant dans l'intervention de la santé publique de lutte contre la pandémie de COVID-19 en recherchant les contacts, en effectuant des dépistages dans les lieux de quarantaine et en exécutant bien d'autres tâches encore. Nous leur sommes reconnaissants pour leurs innombrables démarches pour assurer notre sécurité et notre santé. Aussi, compte tenu de la période difficile Encore que traverse notre personnel soignant de la pression incessante que cette troisième vague exerce sur le système de santé, les mots manquent pour remercier suffisamment ce personnel. La fin d'un défi peut donner l'impression d'être le plus grand test de notre endurance, mais en fait, il s'agit de moments intenses où nous pouvons recourir à notre force collective. La plus grande gratitude que nous puissions témoigner à celle Et ceux qui nous ont aidés jusqu'ici au cours de cette crise longue et difficile et de continuer à suivre leurs conseils alors que nous continuons d'administrer les vaccins et que nous ressentons leurs effets bénéfiques. Pour l'instant, nous devons rester prudents et faire tout ce qui est en notre pouvoir pour nous protéger et protéger notre communauté, pour diminuer la pression sur le système et pour contribuer à arrêter cette pandémie. Cela s'entend aussi de prendre rendez-vous avec votre sympathique infirmière ou infirmière de quartier et de retrousser votre manche pour recevoir le vaccin contre la COVID-19 dès que vous le pourrez. Merci.
14: Thank you, Dr. Nou. The Prime Minister will be taking six questions, starting with the phone, one question, one follow-up. Doctors and Minister Leblanc will remain available for 15 minutes afterward. Merci beaucoup, Dr. New. Le Premier ministre prendra six questions en commençant par le téléphone, une question, une sous-question. Le ministre Leblanc et les docteurs demeureront disponibles pour 15 minutes par la suite. Opérateur, c'est à vous.
9: Merci, thank you. Please press star 1 at this time to ask a question. S'il vous plaît, appuyez sur étoile 1 maintenant pour poser une question. La première question est de Raymond Fillion de TVA. La parole est à vous. Merci. Je suis le Premier ministre, est-ce que vous avez des assurances à cette heure-ci que la canalisation 5 d'Enbridge ne fermera pas comme promis par la gouverneure du Michigan? Sinon, euh, à quel point ça vous inquiète, cette possibilité? Euh,
11: nous sommes très pré- préoccupés par euh, le potentiel d'une fermeture de la ligne 5. C'est pour ça que nous travaillons depuis des mois avec euh, nos homologues euh, aux États-Unis, qu'on encourage la médiation directe entre euh, la compagnie Enbridge et euh, et l'État de Michigan. Euh, Et on va continuer euh, de faire partie de cette discussion et et d'encourager une résolution euh, qui ne mettra pas en en, en insécurité euh, énergétique euh, nos nos communautés euh, des deux bords de la frontière.
9: Est-ce que vous avez personnellement soulevé la question auprès de Joe Biden
11: Euh, Oui, c'est un enjeu dont on a discuté, la sécurité euh, de de, de nos nos échanges euh, en énergie, des pipelines, euh, mais nous reconnaissons que c'est un processus en médiation entre Enbridge et le gouvernement euh, de de l'État du Michigan. Euh, Nous, on va continuer euh, de de participer et de de faire valoir nos préoccupations euh, à travers l'ambassade à Washington et nos autres engagements. Uh,
14: Thank you. Uh,
11: We continue to engage very closely in the issue of Line 5. We know that it is a matter of energy security for Canadians and for Americans. Uh, This is why we have uh, pushed strongly for uh, the mediation process between Enbridge and uh, the uh, state government in Michigan to continue. Uh, we will continue to weigh in uh, through uh, our, our embassy in Washington and uh, with our, our partners because we know uh, that uh, the energy uh, cooperation and partnership between Canada and the US is good for citizens on both of our uh, both sides of our border.
14: Thank you, Prime Minister. Operator, next question on the phone.
9: Merci. Thank you. The next question is from Ryan of the National Post. Please go ahead. Yeah. Good morning, sir. I wanted to ask you about the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, There are more and more uh, experts coming out and suggesting that it might not be a good fit uh, for Canada's vaccine rollout and that with our supplies of mRNA vaccines, we should back away from it. Uh, Do you still think it's going to be a significant part of our vaccine rollout?
11: One of the things we knew from the very beginning, Ryan, was uh, the best approach on vaccination, particularly when we were talking about last summer when we didn't know which vaccines would land, which ones would be most effective, who would develop them, was to ensure a diversified portfolio. And that's why we have so many different types of vaccines uh, available uh, you know, around the world, but also to Canadians. But every single vaccine uh, that is delivered in Canada has been determined to be safe and effective by Health Canada. Uh, What we are encouraging Canadians to do is to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. Sign up for that first dose uh, and take uh, whatever vaccine uh, is offered to you. Now, uh, we know uh, that we are receiving far more mRNA vaccines than we are of the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson for now, Uh, but we will continue to monitor in a quite Quite frankly, provinces will continue to make determinations about uh, the uh, exact details of their vaccine rollouts. Uh, From the federal government's perspective, our job is to make sure that we get the largest number of safe vaccines into Canada as quickly as possible, which we're certainly on track with, with uh, close to 50 million uh, vaccine doses that will have arrived in Canada by the end of June, uh, and enough vaccines for everyone to be fully vaccinated by September. Euh, Nous avions reconnu que c'était très important d'avoir un portfolio diversifié en termes de vaccination et de de vaccins potentiels. C'est pour ça qu'on a signé des accords et on est en train de recevoir euh, beaucoup de différents types de vaccins. Mais je peux rassurer les Canadiens que chaque vaccin qu'on administre au Canada a été jugé sécuritaire et efficace par Santé-Canada. La santé et la sécurité des Canadiens est toujours la chose la plus importante, et c'est pour ça qu'on encourage les gens de se faire vacciner le plus rapidement possible pour qu'on puisse passer à travers cette pandémie. Euh, les provinces et les territoires font euh, prennent des décisions par rapport à leur euh, euh, leur choix de vaccination et leur euh, euh, leur catégorie de vaccination. Uh, notre responsabilité du côté du fédéral, c'est de livrer le plus de vaccination vaccin uh, possible. et pour ça qu'on a, on parle de uh, autour de cinquante de doses uh, qui seront arrivées au Canada pour la fin juin uh, et uh, assez de doses pour que tous les Canadiens soient vaccinés complètement uh, pour septembre.
14: Following
9: up, Ryan. Yeah, sir, I'm also wondering. Um, You you talked in your opening remarks about, you know, a one-dose summer and the need to keep public health restrictions in place until our vaccination numbers come up. Uh, Do you think there is widespread agreement with premiers across the country? Uh, Do you expect they will keep restrictions in place uh, until the numbers come well down in order to set up this uh, scenario you're forecasting?
11: Well, I think people are eager to see uh, what a better summer could look like. And a summer in which uh, the vast majority of Canadians have received one dose with caseloads down across the country uh, will allow us to gather and have barbecues with friends. We'll still have to be careful uh, in a lot of different ways, but it will be a slightly better summer. That's why we're talking about a one-dose summer. Uh, But what we also know from previous waves is it's really important to get public health measures uh, right and drive cases down. Vaccinations alone, one dose alone, won't allow us to have a good summer. We have to get those case numbers down. We need to crush COVID right across the country, and we need to get vaccination rates up over 75% uh, of one dose. I know we can do that. We have enough vaccines, and Canadians have demonstrated a capacity to get those community transmission doses, de, uh, cases down. We just need to do those two things over the coming weeks so that as we get into summer, we'll be able to have uh, a better situation.
14: Thank you, operator. Dernière question, téléphone.
9: Merci. La question suivante est de Hélène Buzetti, leco de l'information. La parole est à vous.
14: Oui, bonjour M. Trudeau.
5: J'aimerais revenir sur cette question de la preuve vaccinale pour accéder, par exemple, à une terrasse, d'un café, un restaurant ou un cinéma. J'aimerais savoir, philosophiquement, êtes-vous d'accord avec l'instauration de telles preuves vaccinales? Vous avez dit dans le passé que vous pouviez envisager des euh, des, des problèmes éthiques. Pouvez-vous être plus euh, euh,
11: donner plus de détails sur quels
5: sont les problèmes que vous envisagez? Merci.
11: Merci, Hélène. Évidemment, c'est une question importante, mais aussi délicate. On veut encourager le plus de gens possible à se faire vacciner, parce que c'est comme ça qu'on va passer à travers euh, cette pandémie. Euh, on a vu dans d'autres pays qu'à euh, un certain niveau, les gens commencent à, 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 à atteindre un plateau euh, au niveau de vaccination dans la population qui est encore trop bas pour pouvoir vraiment être en sécurité. On a besoin d'avoir plus que 75 % des citoyens vaccinés avec une première dose et qu'on continue avec les deuxièmes doses pour avoir un été à une dose. Pour ce faire, il y a beaucoup de gens qui regardent l'idée que avec une preuve de vaccination, on pourrait faire plus de choses, certainement pour les voyages à l'international, ça va éventuellement être très important. Mais pour usage domestique, je sais que différentes provinces sont en train de regarder ça. Il y a toujours des préoccupations au niveau de l'équité. Est-ce que tout le monde a accès à la vaccination? Est-ce que tout le monde a la même capacité de se faire vacciner? Bien, d'abord, les vaccins sont gratuits, sont payés par le gouvernement fédéral. Donc, ça enlève un certain niveau de préoccupation d'équité. Euh, mais aussi on voit certaines communautés ou certaines cultures sont un peu plus réticents euh, à se faire vacciner. On veut trouver le bon équilibre. On veut encourager tout le monde, autant que possible, de se faire vacciner et d'avoir des récompenses ou des plus de, 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 de liberté si on se fait vacciner. Ça pourra en faire partie, mais faut s'assurer qu'on n'est pas en, en train d'être... Injuste, injuste contre des gens euh, déjà marginalisés ou déjà vulnérables, ou des fois, il y a un peu plus de, de réticence. Alors, euh, de, de continuer les discussions euh, entre les différents paliers de gouvernement, regarder comment on peut faire ça de la bonne façon, et de s'assurer que ce soit un positif pour encourager les gens de se faire vacciner sans euh, aller heurter, léser ou euh, désavantager euh, certains groupes ou personnes, euh, c'est, c'est la préoccupation que nous avons tous.
5: Et euh, je vous entends très bien, merci. Euh, mais sur la question euh, philosophique, par exemple, de cette idée d'avoir, à, dans le fond, décliné une information médicale à propos de soi, décliné son identité à des commerçants, euh, sur cette question-là de la vie privée, certains parlent de Big Brother, qu'est-ce que vous en pensez?
11: Ben, On sait que pour que on puisse passer à travers cette pandémie, il faut se faire vacciner il va falloir que la grande majorité des Canadiens se fasse vacciner. Et c'est pas juste une question de se protéger soi-même, c'est une question d'atteindre le seuil euh, qui protège toute la société et toute la communauté. Donc, je comprends que non, on voudrait pas partager des informations privées sur la santé de quelqu'un, mais cette preuve de vaccination et cette information que quelqu'un ait eu le vaccin ou non, euh, je pense que c'est parce que ça a tellement une implication pour le public, si on atteint ce seuil de 75-80 euh, je pense que c'est une information qu'on devrait euh, pouvoir partager, mais en faisant attention, dans la mesure du possible, de euh, de, de pas souligner euh, la situation médicale de gens qui ne peuvent pas se faire vacciner parce qu'ils sont compromis ou d'autres choses. Euh, de, de créer une façon où on n'est pas en train de de, de trop faire euh, pour brimer la vie privée, mais d'être vacciné, c'est un bien public, c'est quelque chose qui est important pour tout le monde. Je pense qu'on devrait pouvoir partager ça. Mais comme j'ai dit, il y a encore des, des conversations et des réflexions à faire là-dessus qui sont informés par des experts qui, euh, qui se, se penchent de différents côtés. I think it's really important to encourage Canadians to get vaccinated. We know we're not going to get through this pandemic until uh, enough people get vaccinated. 75%, 80%, even more uh, get first dose and second dose. So anything we can do to encourage people to get vaccinated is going to be important. And that's where uh, the idea of uh, proof of vaccination for different services or better access is something to look at, particularly because... Vaccines uh, are free. They're paid for by the federal government. Uh, There is uh, going to be enough vaccines for everyone in the population. We just have to reflect upon um, certain communities or vulnerable Canadians who might still have more difficulty accessing vaccines uh, or might have uh, resistance to uh, vaccinations uh, because of cultural or or other uh, realities that we have to be thoughtful about as we move forward. And then when it comes to the privacy aspects of proof of vaccinations, vaccinations aren't just about protecting the individual.
0: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. they
11: The about protecting all of society and particularly vulnerable individuals who, for medical reasons, can't actually get vaccinated. So it matters to know uh, that Canadians are getting vaccinated, and I think we should be able to walk the path between respecting uh, someone's privacy, but also understanding that whether or not someone's vaccinated uh, is something that we should be able to uh, to make use of uh, to both encourage people to get vaccinated and keep all Canadians safe.
14: Thank you. Will well, now take questions in the room.
15: Conda. Uh, good morning, Prime Minister. Um, Tonda McCharles with the Toronto Star. Can I go back to what your your remarks about one-dose summer, two-dose fall? Um, We've had national guidance on masking. We've had national guidance on immunization. And I'd like to understand what you think, or if you even think there's a need for a national reopening plan that uses some of these markers. I mean, are you contemplating giving guidance to the provinces on case counts per 100 or whatever like the case may be. uh, I don't hear that kind of specificity and already Saskatchewan is kind of ditching the 75% first dose. They're saying 70 is good enough. Um.
0: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40 they can all be connected. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
16: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
10: It's my little escape.
16: Now Judy's the life of the party.
10: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
16: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
11: I think it's really important that Canadians understand that we could have a much better summer uh, if two things happen. If the case counts get under control across the country. If we're able to crush COVID and keep those case counts really low with adequate measures around screening and contact tracing and isolating whenever there are pop-ups uh, or uh, outbreaks that will happen from time to time. We need to get cases down. And we've seen from waves in the past the problems that happens if restrictions are opened too early. It just leads to A greater next wave. So the first thing we need to do to make sure we're getting into a one-dose summer where people can be a little freer and have a little bit more normal summer with friends around the barbecue is case numbers need to be down right across the country. And, you know, local public health officials will make determinations about what under control and what case counts are. It could vary a little bit, but the cases need to be down. Secondly, Canadians have to get that one dose. Canadians have to get vaccinated to over 75%. And if we have those two things, if case numbers are down, and uh, if over 75% of people get vaccinated, we can have a summer that'll be much better for everyone. And that's sort of on all of us. Different orders of government. The federal government needs to make sure, as we are, that we have enough vaccines for everyone to get one dose before the end of June, which we will, and that second dose continues to increase uh, in terms of being delivered. That provinces keep the restrictions necessary in place until they get the new cases totally under control and are able to handle and respond to any little outbreaks that we know will happen. And third, Canadians need to get vaccinated. We have more and more uh, vaccines coming in. We're going to be able to have enough doses so that we can have that one-dose summer, which will set us up for a two-dose fall, which will be much, much better. But everyone needs to do their part. Keep the case number, get the case numbers down and keep them down and get vaccinated. That's how we get through this.
6: Thanks. Hi, Prime Minister. Stephanie Taylor with the Canadian Press. Going back to AstraZeneca for a second, given that experts have said that mRNA vaccines are the preferred ones and there are ongoing safety concerns with the AstraZeneca shot, will Canada stop negotiating with the United States to get their doses of AstraZeneca and instead ask for, say, Moderna?
11: We're going to continue to talk with all our partners about ensuring that we're able to get Canadians through this as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. Uh, We will continue to work uh, with the United States, with other countries around the world to ensure uh, that we get enough doses to get Canadians vaccinated with one dose before the summer. Uh, and uh, you know that second dose through the summer, so that we can have uh, a uh, a much better fall. Uh, but on the uh, safety concerns, I'm happy to turn uh, to Dr. Tam to uh, to speak to that. Judy was
16: boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
10: It's my little escape.
16: Now Judy's the life of the party.
10: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
16: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs>
12: Thank you for the question. And I think that, uh, as the Prime Minister said, it's really important to increase vaccine uptake because it's going to play a really important role in helping us um, control the pandemic and um, reduce the risk of resurgence. I think he he provided a really important point in terms of getting the cases down at very low levels so that we can... um, you know, provinces can actually test, trace, isolate, and put out uh, these more targeted approaches. So they're not going back into the fall with the more restrictive measures. That's this sort of vision going forward. And in terms of, um, you know, um, AstraZeneca, I think what I would say is, first of all, remind everyone that uh, anyone who got the AstraZeneca vaccine did the right thing um, in protecting yourself and those uh, you love and those around you. Um, Of course, we have to take any reports of serious side effects, however rare, very carefully. So that's what is being done, and so that Canadians can have the appropriate information uh, to make informed choices and the provinces can design their uh, programs. Um, But what I would say is that, you know, right now, The National Advisory Committee on Immunizations recommending two doses using the same vaccine. So we will uh, make sure that those who got the AstraZeneca vaccine, the first dose, can be provided with a second dose. At the same time, we're following the evolving science, um, including the ones, uh, the studies from the United Kingdom, to provide the most up-to-date advice uh, on whether a mixed dose schedule, Uh, is the appropriate way to go and that would offer a a choice essentially for those who uh, have received AstraZeneca for the first dose and so I think the bottom line is we take any um, reports of uh, serious adverse events very seriously and that has been taken into account as we design our programs going forward. Next question.
9: Bonjour M. Trudeau, Louis Blouin de Radio-Canada. Je veux revenir sur la ligne 5. Euh, si la médiation échoue entre euh, Enbridge et le Michigan, le Canada va-t-il invoquer le traité de 1977 entre le Canada et les États-Unis qui limite les actions unilatérales lorsqu'il est question de transport de ressources, de pipeline? Est-ce que vous allez utiliser cette option-là?
11: Euh, nous reconnaissons à quel point on est interdépendant, interconnecté avec les États-Unis en, en matière d'énergie. Euh, et c'est, c'est pourquoi nous sommes en train de travailler euh, extrême, de façon extrêmement étroite euh, avec les Américains sur cet enjeu. Euh, je sais que le ministre des Ressources naturelles, euh, le ministre Reagan, euh, va avoir une annonce euh, qu'il va faire euh, très bientôt uh, pour parler de nos, uh, notre positionnement là-dessus et nos préoccupations avec uh, la situation, uh, nous allons toujours faire ce qui est nécessaire pour protéger les intérêts des Canadiens pour défendre la sécurité uh, énergétique des Canadiens. On, on, on va avoir plus à dire dans quelques heures. Um, I can assure you that, uh, we are watching very, very carefully. Uh, the situation with Line 5, as we have for many, many months. We've continued to engage on it, uh, and uh, Minister of Natural Resources, Seamus O'Regan, will be out shortly with an announcement on further engagement by the federal government uh, uh, to uh, ensure that uh, we're defending Canadian uh, interests and uh, Canadian security.
8: Glenn McGregor, CTV News. Prime Minister, you've repeatedly told Canadians not to travel abroad. Earlier this month, your foreign minister was in the UK. He's headed back to Iceland uh, later this month, even before his quarantine, his 14-day quarantine period is up. You've talked about the possibility you're going to go to the UK for the G7. What do you say to Canadians who have put off travel, maybe to go to funerals or to see family around the world, when they see that's a mixed message, that that people in
11: cabinet are travelling but they're not allowed to? We continue uh, to highlight the need for essential travel. Uh, There are uh, thousands of trucks with uh, food uh, and essential goods across the U.S. border every day. Uh, We continue to see essential travel happening. Uh, The question always remains, uh, what is essential travel and are the rules going to be followed? Uh, We had to make sure uh, that we kept Canadians safe when we shut down the borders to non-essential travel. Uh, for uh, non-Canadians over a year ago now. And Canadians and people around the world have responded. We have seen a drop in over 95% in travel volumes over this past year, and that has kept Canadians safe. But there is, uh, there are moments where uh, essential travel is necessary and those decisions uh, will be made, but at the same time, all proper safety protocols Will be followed. All quarantines and testings uh, will be abided by uh, because uh, nobody uh, is exempt from keeping Canadians safe. For you and Minister LeBlanc, possibly. Uh, the Justice Minister in
8: Alberta made some comments uh, last few days uh, about how the provincial NDP and the media and the federal Liberals wanted to see Alberta's provincial health system collapsed during the pandemic. Wondering what your response is to that and and whether it colors your relationship with
11: Alberta as you try and work through the pandemic. I think it's a shame to see people uh, pointing fingers and laying blame and suggesting that anyone in Canada uh, wants anything else than to get through this pandemic as safely as possible everywhere. Last week, I reached out directly to the Premier of Alberta, uh, to the mayors of of, uh, Calgary and Edmonton, Uh, to continue to offer all the help that the federal government could possibly offer to help uh, Albertans and indeed all Canadians get through this. Uh, Every step of the way, the federal government has been there to support Canadians with eight out of every $10 uh, in pandemic support coming from the federal government. We will continue uh, to work with Canadians. We will continue to work with all governments across this country to make sure we're getting through this. That's what Canadians want to see. That's what the federal government wants to see. That's what opposition, uh, uh, opposition parties want to see. And that certainly is what the media is focused on as well. Uh, I think uh, playing politics at this point is just not what Canadians want to see. Je pense que c'est très clair qu'il y a a personne dans ce pays qui veut autre chose que de passer à travers cette pandémie avec uh, le moins de, de, de tragédie possible partout au pays. En tant que gouvernement, nous avions toujours été là pour toutes les provinces et territoires. La semaine passée, j'ai parlé au premier ministre de l'Alberta, j'ai parlé aux au maires des deux, deux plus grandes villes, Calgary Alberta, et Edmonton, pour dire que pour répéter une énième fois que le gouvernement fédéral est toujours là pour aider avec quoi que ce soit qui est nécessaire. On a aidé les citoyens, on a aidé les travailleurs avec 8 sur 10 de tout tout argent qui a a été là pour aider les gens à travers cette pandémie euh, venant du gouvernement fédéral et on va continuer de l'être. Je pense que c'est désolant de voir des gens essayer de jouer de la la petite politique là-dessus parce qu'il n'y a pas personne qui veut autre chose que qu'on passe à travers en sécurité que ce soit euh, les gouvernements que ce soit les partis d'opposition ou que ce soit les médias euh, nous allons tous continuer de travailler ensemble parce que c'est ça ce dont les Canadiens ont besoin et c'est ça qu'ils veulent voir
12: One last question? Salima Sheff, GCBC, I want to ask you about what's happening in the Middle East. So Canada's policy on Israel and Palestine is predicated on the existence of the Oslo peace process. A lot of experts say that process has been dead for years and doesn't reflect the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground is renewed tensions. Uh, So with that in mind, what do you say to what we are seeing uh, in Jerusalem as well as in, in, in Gaza? The exchange of rockets and airstrikes in which nine children are among the casualties.
11: The violence and deaths we've seen uh, in Israel uh, right now and in in the region are are terrible. There needs to be de-escalation immediately. Uh, We need to see a cessation of violence and attacks. The rocket attacks uh, from Hamas are absolutely unacceptable. But we're also gravely concerned uh, about uh, the uh, settlements uh, and the evictions of Palestinians. We need to see a return to uh, conversations and dialogue and de-escalation, an end to the violence, including (sighs) the violence at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, which are just just heart-wrenching. We need to see uh, a path towards a two-state solution through negotiated uh, conversations. Any unilateral, unhelpful actions on either side's uh, are not contributing to uh, the kind of future we all need to see.
14: Merci, Monsieur le Premier Ministre. C'est tout le temps que vous avez avec nous aujourd'hui. On va maintenant continuer la conférence de presse uh, avec le téléphone opérateur. Operator.
9: Thank you, merci. And yes, the next question is from Brian Mullen of Global News. Please go ahead. Oh, I see, and we have lost him. Et la question suivante est de Catherine Lévesque, la presse canadienne. La parole est à vous. Euh, Oui, bonjour. Merci beaucoup. Euh, J'ai une question peut-être, soit soit pour les docteurs, soit pour M. Leblanc. Je veux juste revenir sur euh, cette première dose cet été, ces deux doses à l'automne. Je me demandais, est-ce que le gouvernement maintient toujours En fait, la date limite là, de, de septembre, dans le fond, les Canadiens seront pleinement vaccinés en septembre. Je, je me demandais si on pouvait avoir plus de précisions, peut-être, sur l'échéancier quand, quand tous les Canadiens auront reçu leurs deux doses. Merci.
17: Bien, moi, je peux peut-être offrir quelques commentaires et ensuite, le Dr New ou le Dr Tam pourront ajouter. Euh, Madame Anand et le premier ministre ont toujours été clairs que nous aurons, euh, avant la fin juin, 48 à 50 millions de doses de vaccins approuvées comme étant sécuritaires et efficaces au Canada. Et ça va permettre à tous les Canadiens qui désireront avoir un vaccin d'avoir au moins la première dose avant euh, la fin juin. Et euh, au courant de l'été, nous allons recevoir suffisamment de doses que tous les Canadiens qui désireront être pleinement vaccinés, Ça, ça veut dire évidemment les deux doses, Euh, tout cela pourra se faire euh, avant euh, la fin septembre. Évidemment, si les provinces sont capables d'administrer de, 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 euh, les programmes de vaccins et les Canadiens s'inscrivent euh, dans la mesure du possible, il est peut-être probable qu'au début de septembre, euh, euh, on souhaite que tous les Canadiens seront pleinement vaccinés, mais nous avons la certitude d'avoir les vaccins euh, pour que tout cela soit en place avant la fin septembre.
13: Merci, c'est, c'est Dr. New. Il n'y a pas beaucoup plus à ajouter ce que le ministre Leblanc a déjà constaté. On continue à travailler étroitement avec nos homologues des provinces et territoires. C'est sûr, avec l'horaire, l'approvisionnement, la livraison des vaccins ici au Canada, c'est, 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 c'est un peu de plus stable et aussi on attend avec impatience des, 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 des autres doses qui arrivent au, au pays. Donc, c'est vraiment une... une Une, une question pour les provinces et territoires parce qu'ils continuent avec leur planification avec euh, les, les vaccins qui arrivent dans leur juridiction pour planifier à offrir les, les vaccins à, à tous les, les, les citoyens dans leur euh, province et territoire Donc, euh, je pense que euh, pour nous autres, euh, si on parle de la perspective de la santé publique, euh, c'est, c'est une chose d'offrir le vaccin, les, les vaccins, mais c'est aussi quelque chose à suivre à, comme l'acceptation des, des vaccins, parce qu'on sait, ici au Canada, avec les sondages, c'est vraiment encourageant que la plupart des Canadiens, je pense que dernier sondage, j'ai vu plus que 80 en, en, % de la population indiquer uh, qu'ils, qu'ils veulent uh, recevoir le vaccin. Donc, c'est, c'est quelque chose à suivre, mais uh, pour, pour nous autres, c'est, uh, c'est aussi quelque chose... À, très important comme cible, vraiment les vaccins administrés, pas seulement les vaccins livrés aux provinces et territoires. Mais pour moi, pour pour les autres, c'est vraiment des bonnes nouvelles. On attend vraiment, on espère une meilleure été que que l'été passé. Merci.
14: En suivi, Catherine? Euh, Oui, c'est un autre
5: sujet,
9: M. Leblanc. Je voulais revenir sur ces 19. Comment est-ce que vous justifiez un baillon, en fait, sur ce projet de loi sur des élections en pleine pandémie. Doit-on en comprendre qu'on se dirige vers ce scénario-là, possiblement à l'automne, justement?
17: Euh, non, pas du tout. Nous avons toujours dit euh, depuis des mois et des mois que nous ne cherchons pas euh, à provoquer une élection. Nous cherchons à rester et à demeurer focusés sur l'aide nécessaire pour aider les Canadiens à passer à travers la pandémie Euh, Cependant, le directeur général des élections au mois d'octobre a demandé euh, au Parlement de regarder certaines mesures temporaires qui s'appliqueront éventuellement si si il y a une élection dans le contexte d'une pandémie. Je dois vous rappeler qu'il y a eu plusieurs provinces qui ont fait des élections euh, dans le temps de la pandémie. Alors, le directeur général des élections qui a le mandat légal de s'assurer... Euh, qu'Élections-Canada soit prêt à tout moment pour des élections partielles et pour une élection générale. C'est d'autant plus prudent dans un Parlement minoritaire. Il a demandé au Parlement de considérer des mesures temporaires pour donner plus d'outils à Élections-Canada afin de protéger non seulement ceux et celles qui vont aller voter, mais les 250 000 personnes qui travaillent à administrer les élections dans tous les coins du pays. Alors, nous pensons que les conservateurs ont évidemment aucune intention de laisser le débat conclure. Ils veulent à tout prix prolonger le débat sur tous les projets de loi. Et nous croyons aussi que le Parlement doit demeurer focalisé, par exemple, sur les mesures budgétaires qui vont aider directement les Canadiens et les provinces à passer à travers la pandémie. Alors, c'est pourquoi nous avons jugé bon... Euh, de laisser le comité de la procédure de la Chambre regarder le projet de loi, apporter des améliorations ou des amendements que le comité jugera importants, et ensuite le processus parlementaire se fera. Mais en même temps, le Bloc québécois vote toujours non-confiance dans le gouvernement. Alors, c'est un peu hypocrite de prétendre qu'ils ne veulent pas une élection à tout prix, ils veulent éviter une élection. Nous, au gouvernement, on ne vote pas non-confiance dans notre, dans notre gouvernement. But the Bloc and the Conservatives often, almost all the time, vote for elections. So we think that it's prudent for the committee to look at this project.
16: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for
17: you. What do you do when you win?
14: More than once, actually. Do
4: I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's
16: the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
4: I never win and tell.
16: Well, there you have it. You could get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
14: Thank you. Operator we will take one last question on the phone.
9: Merci. Thank you. The next question is from Erica Walsh of The Global Mail. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
10: Good afternoon. My question I think is for Minister Leblanc. I'm wondering if you can just explain a bit more what the government's approach is right now on purchasing AstraZeneca. Can you confirm if the government is still trying to as was repeated last week, push for earlier and more deliveries of AstraZeneca right now?
17: So uh, our government has from the very beginning, once Health Canada approved vaccines as being safe and effective for Canadians, obviously we've done everything possible to get as many of those vaccine doses uh, into Canada as quickly as possible. We are happy that Canadians were impatient to receive the vaccines, that provinces have done a great job in preparing vaccine rollout plans. So we continue to work with all of our suppliers with whom we have contracts to bring as many doses of vaccines that are safe and approved for Canadians to Canada as quickly as possible. Uh, With respect to AstraZeneca, we expect 665,000 additional doses uh, of AstraZeneca to arrive in the coming weeks. Uh, And there's also another million doses we have uh, under contract with the company that we expect to arrive in Canada in the month of June. Um, so our our uh, policy of accelerating as many doses as possible, as quickly as possible, uh, and be able to deliver them to provinces and territories, uh, our, uh, our priority has not changed.
14: Following up, Marika? Thank you, yeah. So
10: can you explain um, to Canadians, as we see provinces reconsidering the use of AstraZeneca and Alberta being the first one to say it it won't book first shot appointments for AstraZeneca. Why are you still pushing for more AstraZeneca at this time?
17: Well, because as the Prime Minister stated a few minutes ago, the best way to ensure that all Canadians who want to get vaccinated can get vaccinated as quickly as possible is to have a diverse supply of vaccines from different parts of the world. Seven different companies have signed agreements with our government. So we'll continue to pursue that very basic strategy of having uh, a diversified portfolio of vaccines with hundreds of millions of doses under contract to come to Canada. I'll also note that my colleague, the Minister of Procurement, uh... discussed uh, arrangements that have been made for uh... vaccines in 2022, 23 potential uh... booster shots so that work is ongoing and will continue uh... but we have a contract to receive astrazeneca vaccines um, and provincial health authorities will decide uh, the way that they in their judgment see those vaccines best administered to their populations but it would be irresponsible for Canada not to pursue the 665,000 doses of AstraZeneca that we expect to get in the coming weeks and the million additional doses that we'll get uh, in the month of June. And those vaccines will be distributed to provincial uh, authorities to be administered to the populations that they uh, that they decide in their best judgment should receive those vaccines.
14: Thank you, Minister Blau. you will now finish in the room.
15: Um, Good morning. Tonda McCharles, Toronto Star. Um, I think this uh, question is for Dr. Tam. Dr. Tam, um, I wonder if you can tell me, is it the view of the Public Health Agency of Canada that a national reopening plan that provides national guidance on reopening benchmarks is not needed and that the government ought to defer to the provinces on all the benchmarks in terms of reopening?
12: Thank you for the question. And um, at the special advisory committee with the other Chief Medical officers of Health, uh, it's pretty clear, I think, the kind of indicators that are needed to be tracked in order to do um, you know, safe uh, reopening. And as you can imagine, those indicators um, helps us track that we've got the um, third wave, for example, under control in terms of cases. Uh, the rates, the reproduction numbers, the uh, hospital capacity, the public health capacity, the test trace, and isolate uh, those are not new. Uh, they are indicators that we all uh, think are uh, important to track um, as people are looking at reopening, and do it slowly and gradually, because if not, and um, you know, a resurgence can happen especially the vaccine coverage, isn't high at the moment. So I think, as the Prime Minister said, uh, those kind of indicators are important. And every province, of course, have a very different um, context. And uh, they need to take into account and track all those uh, parameters um, as they move along. I hope slowly, deliberately, and carefully, uh, because this is, I hope, our... Final uh, challenge, if we can keep on uh, suppressing the cases and get the vaccines up, we will have a year that looks considerably better moving ahead. Um, But that's both important. I think the other message is really not to just rely on the vaccine uh, uptake number. Those cases have to come down as the vaccine uh, doses are going up. Uh, But the vaccine indicator is important to track. It gives us a... Idea of the population uh, protection immunity and um, some some of those indicators and those numbers come from modeling, as you probably know. And a lot of the parameters are thrown in, but a seventy-five percent target for that first dose, moving as fast as possible to the two dose, is an important indicator to track alongside the epidemiologic ones.
15: Um, and so I, I take from that, then, that's, that your view is not to advise the government that it needs a national reopening plan. And if I'm wrong in that understanding, please correct me. And I just, my, my I guess, follow-up is the, the whole musings about the first dose, second dose, and the whether or not, you, I know you're waiting for the UK study, but whether or not it can be a mixed dose schedule. Um, have you contemplated that maybe the advice is a stick to the same dose And if you have, what are you projecting for the national vaccine rollout, given the difficulties in sourcing AstraZeneca for those who've got already a first dose of AstraZeneca? Does
12: that make sense? Yes. So we know that um, overall, to date, um, roughly, I think, 2 million people would have got the uh, first dose AstraZeneca. And as I said, they made the right decision for themselves and also for those around them. And the amount of vaccines coming in um, that Minister LeBlanc uh, has described um, is expected to essentially uh, provide a second dose using the same vaccine for those who already received a first dose AstraZeneca. And I think we can commit to... um, the, those vaccine recipients that that second dose will be there for them because that's the current advice. But I think it is important um, to follow the clinical trial data and be able to offer a uh, option uh, for those who've already received that first dose. And uh, we're looking forward, hopefully, to see that data. Um, in a number of weeks, and I think there were the U- United Kingdom officials have provided some context of uh, when that might be possible. And I think the the key being that before this first group of people who receive AstraZeneca vaccine is due for that second dose, we'll be able to provide that advice to them.
6: Next question. Hi, Dr. Tam Stephanie Taylor with the Canadian Press. There's a growing call from some provinces or for some provinces to relent on the public health restrictions on outdoor activities to allow more people to do things outside. Given that the risk of transmission is low, should and can provinces start to look at relaxing restrictions specifically outdoors before perhaps achieving that 70 or 70 percent benchmark yourself and other local chief medical health officers are working with?
12: Um, I think, again, this is just one key benchmark and I think it's very important for people to have a target to shoot for. At the same time as it is, the decision on very localised uh, public health measures must be done with the data that they have locally. They have to be able to suppress those cases because otherwise I, I, I think um, it's very difficult to ensure that um, cases attract you know where they they got um, their infection from. Having said that, the outdoors is definitely safer than the three Cs, close, crowded, uh, close contact environments when you're spending a lot of time together. Those are the last ones that uh, um, uh, could probably be going back to normal. But outdoors, too, so as the Prime Minister said, towards a summer where you can have... Uh, more activity outdoors, particularly with those that you um, in your household or your small groups and be able to do some of those activities is very important, as well as, of course, physical activity and mental health. So I think um, the outdoors will should be the first stage uh, or included in that first stage of um, having people do more um, as to exactly the level of vaccination Target. Uh, we're giving a benchmark, but I do know that the provinces have more complex calculations on the epidemiology, including, uh, for example, how much immunity there uh, exists in their particular population. Uh, provinces that have encountered a lot of COVID activity might have more people already infected. And so they've taken some of those kind of uh, calculations as they uh, are looking at their vaccine targets. But I think it is important for um, you know, everyone in Canada to have something to keep their eye on uh, so that we know that there is a path forward uh, that is much more positive and hopeful.
14: Thank you. We'll take one last question in the room. Uh, This is a question probably for uh, Dr. Tam and Dr. New. Um,
4: We're seeing provinces like Alberta um, decide to delay, uh, to no longer give AstraZeneca as a first dose and save them for the second dose just because of supply demands. I wonder if that, uh, do you think that's an effective strategy that all provinces should be doing at this point in time?
12: Um, I think provinces are in the best position to look at how to best use uh, the uh, all the vaccines they have available to them. What I do know is that there's not that much left of the existing AstraZeneca supply. So some provinces are thinking that, okay, well, we might know that 655,000 is coming in soon, and then, uh, you know, we're expecting more, but that they feel that as a prudent measure that they would um, keep the small amount that they have left. In order to ensure that uh, second dose for those who already have it, and that would be uh, up to them in terms of planning purposes. It is difficult for people when um, you know they they uh, as the schedules are being firmed up. Um, you know they can feel more, um, um, I guess, confident about how they plan those vaccine uh, rollouts. But uh, I think it is different from. Th- Between jurisdictions, because some actually have doesn't have any uh, Astrazeneca left and are waiting for uh, the expected um, the next two deliveries.
14: Merci beaucoup. C'est ce qui m'a fait la conférence de presse d'aujourd'hui.
1: So we need our governments to actually support what what is going to be best for for us as uh, citizens but we need them to look out um at what the future is going to actually hold for for us as the human race and this doesn't mean looking forward four years towards their next election this means that we need our government officials We need public officials to be looking out seven generations, which could mean up to 100 years down the road. What What will our planet look like? What would be healthy for the human race 100 years from now? They need to look that far down the road. That this isn't about what I can do so that I appear like I did something to get reelected, but what were the hard decisions that I made so that my great grandchildren can have children? Thank you for listening to Policy and Rights here on Depictions Media Radio. Of course, I am Michael Cloggs, your host. And while you're listening to Depictions Media, please go to depictions.media and click on our contact button and let us know how we can help. Whether it's a local story or if it is a much bigger issue that you think we should be covering. This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.
15: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just
5: about anywhere.
8: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
10: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
16: (gasps)